Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The playground at Kind Street Park was always empty, but I didn't know why. I'd never played there before, only driven or walked past on my way to somewhere else. It was nice enough, if not a little unkempt. There were swings, a climbing frame, a seesaw, and a very tall slide that I'd never been brave enough to go down. It was the school holidays and my father had brought me to work with him that day. I'd ask if I could go eat my lunch in the sun. He was too busy to take me, of course, but as it was just around the corner, he let me go to the park by myself. The trees that surrounded the rusty play equipment were swaying gently as I sat on the swings and began to eat my lunch. My sandwiches were squished flat, but still tasty, and I began to swing back and forth as I ate. Hello, came a voice from behind me. Startled, I turned around to see a girl about my age. She didn't look very well, and her clothes were filthy. Hello, I mumbled, my mouth full of sandwich. Do you want to play with me? She asked. Her voice was soft and sounded far away. Okay, do you want some of my sandwich? It's jam. She shook her head. No, thank you. Should I give you a push? I nodded and shoved the rest of my sandwich into my mouth. She gave me a tiny push and I laughed. <laughs> Harder. She pushed me again and I flew into the air, giggling. We played that way for a while, not talking, just laughing. She didn't seem to mind that I hadn't offered to push her either. She was happy doing all the work. After a while, I stopped myself and turned around intending to ask her if she wanted me to push her now. But when I did, I could see that her dirty face had clean spots and little lines all the way down to her chin. Tear stains? Are you okay? I asked, trying to look at her in the eyes. She turned away and sniffed. I have to go now. Okay, I should probably get back anyway. I gathered up the rubbish from my lunch and looked up to see a man standing near the tree line. He was tall and wearing a long brown trench coat, black pants and shoes, and a black hat. He had a strange smile on his face, like pride, but there was something else. Looks like your dad is waiting for you, I said, waving at him. The girl grabbed my hand and staring directly into my eyes, she whispered, He's not my dad. Don't come back here again. And before I could say anything, she ran towards him and he held out his hand. She hesitated for a moment and then took it, and together they disappeared into the trees. I stood there for a moment, watching after them. I left the park that day confused and afraid. Something wasn't right. 
When I got back to my father's workshop, I took off my jacket to hang it up and saw a small red stain on the back. How did I get jam on the back, I wondered. I went to the bathroom to try to sponge out the stain. Standing in front of the sink, I spread the jacket out to survey the damage. At first, I didn't believe it, but there was no doubt. There were little bloody circles all over the back of my jacket. Little dots arranged in circles with smudges of blood. I decided then and there that I was going back tomorrow. I needed to know what happened to this girl. Why was she so sad, so dirty, and who was that man if it wasn't her father? More importantly, why was she bleeding from her hands? The following day I could have gone to my grandmother's but I asked if I could go to work with dad again. I like to watch you work dad, I lied. Why would anyone want to watch someone fix cars all day was beyond me, but my dad seemed very happy that I was interested. I endured a long morning of stories about old cars and the good old days until it was finally lunchtime. Hey dad, can I go to the playground again please? He and his workmate were peering at an engine with thoroughly confused looks on their greasy faces. Yeah, sure but uh... Be back by one though, he said, not looking up from the engine. I grabbed my bag and ran out the door. This time I would remember to ask her name and make sure that she was okay. I'd ask who the man was, and if she wouldn't tell me, well, I'd just have to follow her. I had it all planned out. When I arrived at the playground, I was not surprised to see it empty. There was a slight wind that pushed the swings back and forth, the sound of creaking metal and rustling leaves filling the air. I decided to go sit on top of the climbing frame so I could get a good view of the park, maybe see where she came from this time. I waited, eating sandwiches and scanning the tree line, and after a few minutes I felt a tap on my shoulder. I spun around, dropping my bag on the ground and trying not to fall. There she was, the same clothes as yesterday, the same dirty face. Though this time a dark bruise surrounded her right eye, swelling it shut. What are you doing here? She hissed, looking around desperately with her good eye. What happened to you? I asked, reaching out to try and touch her face. She batted my hand away, grabbed onto my arm and pulled me in closer. I told you not to come back. Why are you here? I shook my arm free. Well, I wanted to make sure you were okay is all. She shook her head and jumped down. I'm fine. Now you really need to go. No, you can't tell me what to do, I said, hooking my feet around the bars of the climbing frame and gripping tightly. I grinned at her, and after a couple of seconds, she laughed, sighed deeply, and picked up my bag. I brought you some food if you want it. She stared at me for a moment, and then a small sad smile appeared. I can't. Thank you, though. I shook my head. Why can't you, and why do you keep telling me to leave? Her good eye widened for a moment. And then she looked around the playground. She dropped the bag and ran to the slide, 
the seesaw, and then the swings. She reminded me of a mouse I'd seen in our kitchen once, scurrying from shelter to shelter, hypervigilant and on alert. Are you afraid of him? I asked as she ran back to the climbing frame. She nodded. Did he do that to you? I asked, jumping down. She nodded again, tears beginning to form in her eyes. What's your name? I asked. I think it's Esther, but I don't really remember. He never calls me anything but child. As she spoke, she brushed her hair out of her face, and that's when I saw it. The palm of her hand. What the hell? I said, grabbing her hand, and I turned it over. There was a bite mark on her hand, deep and still oozing blood. I gasped and pulled her in for a hug. I felt such a need to protect her. My name is... I began, but she clamped her hand over my mouth before I could finish. I tasted blood. He's coming. Please, go before he... Hello, children, came a sickly sweet voice from behind me. Esther dropped her hand from my mouth and hung her head. I turned around and there he was, the man from the tree line. He was wearing the same clothes as the day before, the same strange smile on his face. And just who are you? He asked, bending down to my level. As soon as our eyes met, I felt my stomach drop and bile rise in my throat. I felt a bit dizzy as I tried to find the bravery to say what I wanted to say. None of your business. He let out a strange low rumbling wheeze that ended with a squeak. I think he was laughing. Well, that's no way to talk to your elders, young lady. He said as he reached out a hand towards Esther. Not looking up from the ground, she took his hand and he pulled her close to him. She winced and the tears in her eyes began to flow freely. Child, who is this girl? He asked, yanking on Esther's arm. She breathed in quickly through her teeth in pain. I don't know. The man did not seem pleased with her answer. Who are you? I demanded. I ignored the feelings of nausea and dread and I stood my ground. Do you know what courtesy means, young lady? I stared at him and shook my head. He and Esther began to circle around me. Esther seemed to be getting paler and paler by the moment. It means the showing of politeness in one's attitude and behavior towards others. You do not give me your name when I ask you very sweetly, so why should I tell you my name if you couldn't show me the same courtesy? I sighed and rolled my eyes. Jessica, I spat. Now, who are you? He let go of Esther's hand and she dropped to the ground, pulling her hand close to her chest. I ran to her and held her around the shoulders, never taking my eyes off the man. She smiled again, removed his hat, and bowed to me. Why, I'm Mr. Shree. I'm pleasure to meet you, Jessica. I noticed drops of blood coming from his hand. Well, it's not a pleasure to meet you. You're hurting her. He laughed again and placed his hat back onto his head. 
He walked towards Esther and I and she shook me off of her as he got close. Child, he said, kicking her leg. Are you hurt? Esther shook her head. Mr. Shree looked at me smugly. See, she's fine. She's not fine, and I'm telling, I yelled, scrambling up from the ground and running towards the road. Behind me, I heard him laugh again, and Esther let out a small scream. But when I turned, they were gone. The only trace of them, a few spots of blood on the astroturf. I arrived back at my father's workshop, completely hysterical. He hugged me close, and once I'd stopped crying, I told him what had happened. He listened intently, at first skeptical, but when I showed him my bloody jacket from the day before, his face darkened. He kissed me on the forehead. It's going to be okay, he said as he picked up the phone. The police came to the workshop that afternoon. The detective was a balding man in his forties, with small beady eyes and a coffee stain on his shirt. His breath reeked of coffee and cigarettes. So what's the girl's name? He asked, looking me up and down suspiciously. She said Esther, but I'm not sure. Raising his eyebrows and looking over at my father, he asked, She wasn't sure or you're not sure? I rolled my eyes. No, I'm sure. She wasn't, because she said he didn't call her Esther. He called her child. The detective nodded and wrote that down. And, um, what did she look like? Dirty. Her clothes were old and ripped. She had blue eyes, I think, and her hair is brown. The details of her appearance were cloudy in my mind, like I was looking at her through a dirty window. I was forgetting. Okay? The detective, shifting in his chair. And, uh, what about this man? I opened my mouth to speak, but I realized I didn't know what to say. I closed my eyes tight and tried to picture him, but I couldn't focus on any details. Jessica, why don't you tell the detective what he looked like? My father sounded worried. I'm trying to remember. He was tall and he wore a coat. I trailed off. That was all I could remember. Oh, for goodness sake, Jess, my father said. You described him to me just an hour ago. Well, then you tell him because I can't remember. I yelled, my face hot with embarrassment. Fine, he was, um, well, he had a hat on, a black one, she said. He, too, trailed off. Why couldn't we remember? Despite my story becoming patchy in the retelling, and my inability to describe the man I said had frightened me so, the police decided to go to Kind Park and look around. They found nothing except my lunch and bag strewn about the playground. When the police dropped my bag off at home that night, I heard the detective speaking to my father in a hushed voice. You know, the thing is, is... It's not the first time we heard a story like this about that place, but every time we check it out, we don't find a thing. So, she wasn't lying? My father asked, hopefully. Nah, I didn't say that, sir. I just said that there are stories about that place. Maybe your daughter heard one and 
took it to heart. I'm so sorry to waste your time, officer, and thank you for bringing her bag back. My father shook the detective's hand and smiled weakly. He was embarrassed. No problem, sir. Have a good night. The detective smiled, and then, seeing me peering around the corner, he said, Good night, young lady. Young lady, I thought to myself. He'd said that. The man at the playground. It's time for bed, Jess. Dad said, ushering me toward my room. Young lady. Those words echoed in my head as I lay in bed that night. I fixed my mind on them and built around it the image of a man. A tall man in a brown trench coat, a black hat, black shoes and pants, a disturbing smile, a name, Mr. Shree. The following day I was not allowed to go to the park, nor the day after that. My father was so angry that he didn't even let me come to work with him. I had to stay at my grandmother's and watch her yell at the television. I was so worried about Esther and what he was doing to her and no one else seemed to care. I didn't know why I cared so deeply. I didn't know her, but I did know she was being hurt and she needed help. It was my time to do something important, to get my hands dirty. I decided to go back to Kind Street Park that night to do something. I didn't know what, I just knew that I had to go back and help her somehow. Whatever it took, I was getting her away from Mr. Shree. I crept out of the house as soon as I heard my father begin to snore. I tiptoed past his room and peeked inside. He snorted loudly and turned over. I wish I'd woken him up. I wish he had stopped me. But instead, I snuck down the long hallway, out the front door, and into the cold, dark night. The walk to Kine Street took about a half an hour, and by the time I arrived, my chest was burning from the cold, and my heart was pounding. I didn't know if I was ready for this. I didn't even know what this was. Why was I here? The playground was lit up by a single yellow floodlight, moths fluttering and diving around its eerie glow. There was no wind that night so it was strange that the swings were moving back and forth. I stared at them from the footpath until I mustered the courage to move forward. The second I stepped foot on the astroturf, the swings stopped moving, their creaking chains suddenly silent. My head was screaming, get out of here, but I kept going. I headed towards the climbing frame again, and once I clambered up its freezing cold bars, I hooked my legs around it. Reaching into my bag, I pulled out my headlamp. I wanted to be able to see them coming, so I put it on. The headlamp shone out into the trees, and immediately I saw her. She was standing amongst the trees. I couldn't really make out her features because she was too far away but I could see the blood on her face. I gasped, jumped down from my perch, and ran towards her. She was staggering towards me, her arms outstretched and shaking, and as we drew closer to one another, I heard it, his laughter. It was quiet at first, but the closer I got to the trees, the louder it became. 
Esther collapsed onto the astroturf near the slide, and I ran over to her side. She was covered in blood, and there were bite marks all over her face, arms, and everywhere that I could see. Can you walk? I asked, trying desperately to pull her to her feet. She shook her head. I'm so sorry, she croaked. Confused, I tried again to pull her up. Don't be sorry, just get up. We have to get out of here. And again, she shook her head and I peered over my shoulder. I'm dying. Just go. Don't tell anyone. Just run and don't look back. Esther, no. I have to save you. Get you away from him. Just stand up, please. I was crying now and the sound of his laughter seemed to pierce me from all directions. Esther wasn't moving at all. In fact, she was barely breathing. She looked like she was about to say something when all of a sudden, Mr. Shree appeared behind her. Hello, Jessica. I'm so pleased to see you again. Do you want to know a secret? He spoke softly and stared directly into my eyes. I fell backwards in shock as he extended. He removed his hat and bowed to me once again. His horrible laughter was so loud I had to cover my ears. And there was a terrible low crackling to it and a squeaking that made my eyes water. He stepped over Esther and began walking towards me. That terrible smile on his face. I have hands that scream. He whispered before breaking out into that terrible laughter. And then I saw that he wasn't laughing. His palms weren't palms at all, but little mouths full of sharp, blood-soaked teeth, shrieking with laughter and malice. I screamed and began crawling backwards. Esther was moaning and trying to crawl towards Mr. Shree. His hands let out a strange sort of screech, and he turned towards her. I reached into my bag and pulled out the only weapon I had, my father's nail gun. Child, you're done. You've nothing left here. Let me help you. His arms seemed to grow to twice their length as they clamped down on Esther's shoulder, sending jets of blood from under his palms and causing Esther to cry out in pain. She was wonderful while she lasted, but she could only give so much. He said as his arms began to pulsate, draining the blood from Esther's writhing body. I only take what I need, you see, but I need so much. His voice was so calm in the midst of all this chaos. I screamed for him to put her down, holding the nail gun out in front of me. He laughed, this time with his real mouth as his hands were too busy draining the life out of Esther. Oh, God, this is so delightful. Please, shoot. It's been so long since I felt pain. I'd like to try it. My hands were shaking, and I felt vomit rise within my throat. Swallowing hard, I pulled the trigger. The nail hit him in his left shoulder, and his left hand let go of Esther and screamed. I looked around, hoping to see lights turning on at the houses surrounding the park, but there was nothing. The street lights, the houses, the stars, everything was gone. 
the park seemed to be floating in a void. Well, that was unpleasant, but exhilarating, said Mr. Shree as he pulled the nail from his shoulder. I think it's time we finish this. He pulled Esther close to him and into an embrace. He stroked her hair and said, Thank you, child. You've done very well bringing her to me. You could sleep now. And with those words, he plunged his hands into Esther's chest and squeezed. Esther's eyes met mine, and I heard her whisper, I'm sorry. I tried to warn you. Blood poured from her mouth and onto the astroturf as her eyes closed. Mr. Shree lay her gently on the ground and kissed her forehead. Then he turned towards me. I had to run, but there was nowhere to go. He reached out to me, his arm extended slowly. I didn't bother running, he would catch me anyway, and as his hands closed around my shoulders and his teeth sank into my flesh, I thought about my father. I thought about his face and I tried, I tried so hard to hold on to that image. I thought back to his god-awful snoring, trying to find something that would stick in my head, but it all drained away and then I was gone. I disappeared into nothingness. Oh, there, said Mr. Shree, gently lowering me back down to the ground. Now that wasn't so bad, was it? I shook my head. The sun is coming up. Come, child, he said sweetly, extending his hand to me. I wanted to protest, to tell him to call me by my name, but it was lost to me already. I took his hand, and his teeth sank into my palm. It did hurt, but I did not struggle. That's right, good child. You belong to me now. We walked hand in hand into the trees. Me, the girl without a name. And he, the man with the hands that scream. <laughs>